0: Hello, it's fun fact time. Uh, I think we're breaking from our format because I don't think one of us is really presenting so much as we're both just presenting at the listener for a change. <laughs> um, yes,
1: this is a very special episode, uh, which I have been referring to as uh, a roundup. Yeah, as Brad and I recently took a trip together with some other folks and we learned a lot of fun facts on that trip. And now we're going to share them with you.
0: And I have new custom intro music for this episode.
1: Oh, interesting. And I
0: don't have a good way to play it to you over this. So I'm just going to share the clip with you over Facebook. Okay. Um, maybe forward. <laughs> All right. So go get this a listen. Let Let me know when you click start.
1: I've clicked play.
0: Welcome to where I stand still. Butterflies like I would kill. Colors beauty
1: to What is this? <laughs> <one's landing on laughs> we already street. discussed. We cannot steal and this cannot music. Hide,
0: roam. But in I did. But we cannot. In this hive, bugs enthrall. Ants are climbing up these walls nature's wonders you will see pollinators dancing free in this place world's entwined ecosystem so defined insectarium
1: they have bees insectarium <laughs> this is extremely high effort <laughs>
0: don't want to go home
1: do we create a patreon to release the full <laughs> version of this or it took me
0: so long just to put those couple of lines together that was with every creative fiber of my body and generative ai <laughs> assistance
1: but again it is a minute and a half that's the length of a regular song
0: uh, the the full song is like six and a half minutes, so.
1: Yeah, I don't think we can I, use I, this, though. I cut out
0: 45 seconds of the intro. Wow. Yeah, it's a long intro. Anyway, so that's why I was finishing up before I went to go to the pizza tonight.
1: All right. Well, today <laughs> we're here to tell you about Newfoundland. Newfoundland. Because we learned uh, several many things about it and its inhabitants mostly the animal inhabitants we mostly stayed away from people realistically yeah yeah um so basically our plan for this is to just kind of go through the different portions of our trip and share with you the information that we learned about those different portions so to kick us off we actually had to get to newfoundland first
0: it's true we did
1: it takes a long friggin time (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to get to newfoundland uh requires a lot of driving and then uh what do you have to get on brad
0: a fairy
1: a fairy
0: fun fact about the name fairy okay do you know that if you go back a couple of languages and root words uh fairy and fjord have the same root word and oh. some proto-language
1: Interesting. I did foreshadow. not know that fun fact. Well, I have a fun fact for you. Ooh. Did you know that the Marine Atlantic, which is the organization that runs the ferries between yep. Nova Scotia, Cape Breton, and uh, Port Basque, and well, yep. I was thinking specifically Port Basque and St. John's, has been running for 125 years?
0: Yeah, it hasn't been marine oh, okay. Atlantic all right. Time. All right. So
1: you did know that fun fact. Okay,
0: <laughs> yeah, as, as we were pulling out of port of Basque, I, I forget how I wound up in this, but it's me. So I went up on the Wikipedia page for marine Atlantic. And then actually, no, I googled something. I was trying to figure out something. And I found like a CBC article from 2008, talking about funding going to the Crown Corp. That is marine Atlantic. And I was like, Oh, I didn't realize I was a Crown Corp. So I went to the Wikipedia page and da, 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 da. And it used to be CN rail and da, 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 da.
1: Well, let me share with you another fun fact. Please do. Um, so the first, the first journey that the uh, ferry took between Cape Breton and Newfoundland was on June 30th, 1898. That's a and thing. the SS Bruce uh, departed from Basque for North Sydney just before midnight and then arrived in Cape Breton the next morning. And the fun fact that we take out of that is the fact that we've had 125 years of technology development and the speed of the boat has <laughs> not gotten any faster. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I was looking at the, the ship type that we were on and its maximum speed is about twice the speed that they actually take on the journey, which I assume is a cost-cutting measure.
1: Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, it could go but faster yeah. it is my away nice. from that. But also, I would go to Newfoundland. We had a great time, Yeah. I guess, to foreshadow the end of this.
0: We, <laughs> we had survived.
1: mostly a really great time. Yeah. And I would absolutely do that again. But the amount of travel that is required to reach Newfoundland and specifically... Grossmore National Park, which is where we spent the majority of our time, uh, is very uh, prohibitive, I find, I think, for people who are considering making the journey. So I just want yeah. to give you my mini review and say absolutely worth it. It is very long.
0: Yeah, I I would almost not mind if the ferry. Like the time underway was a smidge longer and an in exchange, instead of docking in Port of Basque, they docked you up in Corner Brook.
1: Yeah, I would accept that.
0: Because it's a seven hour journey, but they make their. Uh, we, we did the night ferry. You can do a day ferry as well. So maybe it, it matters less for that. So it's like a seven hour ferry crossing, but they wake you up an hour before that. you. you get to port so really from the time departure happens mm-hmm. until the time that you're being woken up is six hours mm. which is a co- which is a pretty short amount of time to That's sleep
1: true but realistically also um like for people who are factoring this travel time into their journey yeah you do have to be there two hours before the ferry is set to depart so yeah. for example going on the night ferry uh to get there we had to the the ferry departed at eleven fifteen, and so we had to be there by about nine o'clock and yeah. then a lot of that is waiting in car lines and then eventually boarding the boat and boarding the boat it's like a lot of um you wait you wait you wait you wait then you gotta go and then you gotta get out of your car and you gotta get upstairs so fast
0: <laughs> to be fair I think we were just really rushing it, because it sounds like you can go to and from your car until the vessel gets underway. And so, yeah, I don't think we had to do like the F1 pit stop style, roll into the parking spot on the deck, jump out, grab the bags and sprint upstairs That's that true. we did. We
1: we mostly wanted to do that. Yeah.
0: Plus, it eh, gives you time to get up, get settled in. Yeah. Um, either get in a bed or go to the bar.
1: Mm -hmm. And the same with anything. There's two elevators and like one set of stairs. So it's going to be crowded and everybody kind of just has to. It's like when people are on a plane and everybody stands up the moment the plane lands. Yeah. Well, not to get in too far into our review of the ferry. um, Was there any other fun facts you wanted to share about the ferry experience or the journey itself?
0: Um, no, I think it's pretty good. I guess one fun fact that folks that don't live near Newfoundland to start with might not realize is that Newfoundland is a half hour different time zone.
1: Oh, yeah, that is an interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Realistically, it didn't really apply to us because mm-hmm. I mean... <laughs> You know, when we went to Vegas in the winter, obviously a five-hour time change that happens over the course of a five-hour flight, very noticeable. Mm -hmm. A half-hour time change that happens over the course of a, like, you know seven hour ferry ride Mm -hmm. and realistically by the time you're there you get on you disembark you're in the ferry for like probably closer to nine hours eight or nine hours so you don't notice it and your phone automatically changes Mm -hmm. you have a smart watch that automatically changes the only reason i at all realized there's a time difference was just the fact that the clock in in the car didn't update itself but like even like texting and calling people you know back in Atlantic Canada Mm
1: -hmm. or the Maritimes
0: rather you almost don't have to think about it.
1: Yeah, I would <laughs> it's, it's say minor of a difference. I did not think about the time change at all. I've thought about the time change more as a person uh living in the Maritimes. To be also, I guess we'll share fun fact if you're not from Atlanta, Canada. Um Atlantic Canada refers to the four Atlantic provinces, Newfoundland and Labrador, New Brunswick, PEI, and Nova Scotia. Um, The Maritimes only refers to Nova Scotia, PEI, and New Brunswick.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And for further clarity, Newfoundland and Labrador is one province. Yes. It just has an and in the middle of it.
1: Correct. Um, Yeah. The abbreviation is Wilden. Um, I would just say I did not really notice the time difference at all when we yeah. were there. The only time I've ever really taken notice of it is just in scheduling calls with uh, our friends who live in Newfoundland. So saying things like, "You know, six thirty my time, seven your time."
0: Yeah. Is that well, the
1: right and or vice versa.
0: Yeah, and fun fun fact <laughs> is that Newfoundland time only applies to the island of Newfoundland. Yeah. Labrador <laughs> is on Atlantic time. <laughs>
1: And also just to clarify, it wouldn't be fun, fun fact. It would be fun fact (laughs) fact. Kind of like you could either say post postscript or post script Uh script anyway. All right. We're (laughs) getting too far down. So the reason that we were traveling to Newfoundland to begin with was because a very dear friend of ours. What if we just referred to her as a listener? (laughs) Because she is a listener. We go to listener weddings. Send us your invitation. Yeah,
0: I think... uh... I think there's one of the few people that have actually sent us listener mail and yes. we went to their wedding. So yes. just, you know, that's in the cards, right? Just yeah. Send us if some be really
1: cool. That's why we went. And we're not going to really be talking about that at all, except to say that it was a wonderful time. And yeah, congratulations to her. Uh, uh, and I guess we'll see when she's listening and to her us. husband and her husband. Um, and also big congratulations to her mom for being super cool. Uh, yeah. Because she shared with us, we walked into the uh, night before the wedding barbecue situation, and she said, I've been told I need to listen to somebody's blogcast, and then proceeded to tell us fun facts about trains. So that's where we're going next.
0: It was so ideal.
1: It was that is always how I want to be greeted at any party. Please let me walk in, and then somebody says, You, I got information, <laughs> and then just start sharing information. <laughs> um do you want to take the lead on the trains or do you want me to slap up my train uh
0: i will share the one train fact that i can recall okay um because i think the one that you had said because i don't know if i ever actually got them firsthand from her
1: okay all right i
0: think you did but for i'll I'll tell you the fun fact you told me the mother of the bride told you yes (laughs) is that newfoundland had a different rail gauge meaning the the dimensions and the distance between their tracks was different Mm -hmm. because, and I guess a fun fact, honestly, even probably for some Canadians is just how recently Newfoundland and Labrador. I'm actually not entirely sure if it was just Newfoundland or Labrador, but they're the, the province that joined the Canadian Confederation the most recently. It was after the second world war, like in world war two, Newfoundland wasn't part of Canada.
1: Yep. It was, uh, At midnight on March 31st,
0: 1949. Yeah. So for that reason, well, I assume for that reason, because it wasn't part of Canada. Plus, it was an island. They just wound up doing a different size train network stuff. So if you wanted to ship a a train car between the continent and Newfoundland, I think you said they had to like pull the wheels off and basically re-wheel them to fit Mm -hmm. on the tracks that were there. They would ship
1: them as is. So that was the information that she gave me. So the mother of the bride, uh, told me about the work that her father did. So this would be the grandfather of the bride for everyone, Mm -hmm. keeping track with their family (laughs) trees, um, that he worked on trains in Newfoundland for a period in his life. And so, Uh, She was telling me that Newfoundland uses a different gauge, and I have now looked it up here. All Newfoundland railways were built to the British colonial gauge of 42 inches, which is three feet, six inches. And so uh, they were railways in Newfoundland were originally incorporated in 1881. And it was mostly built and operated by the Reed Newfoundland Company and then was later taken over by the government. So between 1901 and 1923, it was privately operated and then taken over by the government. And then when Newfoundland joined Canada in 1949, um, the Province of Canada Canadian National Railways took over the carrier railway, and then eventually it was transferred over to a different gauge, and then in 1988, uh, all the railways or most railways ceased operating, and then were later operated by a few others, or a few, just a few other small ones were operated. Um, I assume because the transition was away from um, like passenger railways. Primarily to, like, cargo railways, but honestly, I'm not sure.
0: Plus, gotta get that sweet, sweet car infrastructure. Yeah. Do you know, I don't know if you know this, my father, actually, when he was a young man, spent a summer in Newfoundland tearing up railway tracks.
1: No, I didn't know that. That's super interesting.
0: Yeah. So, just imagine being paid and having, like, a a, a huge, like, industrial complex setup to... (laughs) tear up infrastructure yeah (laughs) like we
1: (laughs) brad has his head in his hands he's doing the thing he does when he thinks something is ridiculous (laughs) where he rubs from just (laughs) under his tear ducts out towards the corner of his eyes in disappointed distress
0: doesn't everyone do that
1: (laughs) Uh, we'll have to do a video version of the podcast where it's just like you doing that over and over again yeah yeah that's wild
0: i i won't lapse into my uh yeah My civil Uh, planning. But
1: there is a train museum in Cornerbrook, which we we did not have time to go to, but sounded pretty neat. And there is still a train operating in Cornerbrook. I forgot. (laughs) How could you forget? That was so so long ago. It's this little tiny Um, it's like if you strapped a bunch of golf carts together and then put fake train around them and then it (laughs) drives around the streets of, of, uh, Cornerbrook doing a tour and it plays fake train noises over their speaker. It's It's haunting. Very, very cute. And it only is $2 to ride. We've been told, but unfortunately we also didn't have time to do that. Yeah. Um, well, that's all we've got for trains. We're (laughs) going to get into the next section of our presentation which is also fairly small. Um, But it's just generally about the wildlife in Newfoundland. And uh, the first fun fact that we learned was that there were no snakes in Newfoundland until 2010. Yep. Uh, So apparently much like Ireland um, there. So there's a legend in Ireland that there are no snakes because St. Patrick banished them into the sea in the fifth century. But actually, uh, based on ecological uh, studies, we have been able to determine that there were never any snakes in Ireland after the glaciers melted. And that is the same for Newfoundland. Newfoundland actually has some very similar ecological aspects to it to Ireland. And uh, yeah, they had no snakes until 2010.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, it kind of vibes like a, maybe a slightly more mountainy Ireland based on mm-hmm. the pictures of ireland i've seen Mm -hmm.
1: and i i think the culture there was a lot of immigration from ireland and scotland to newfoundland and also fun fact a lot of immigration from china to newfoundland so there is very strong culture in ireland or in newfoundland that is kind of similar to culture in ireland and scotland you might be familiar with what is referred to as the east coast canadian accent that's not super east coast canada it's Newfoundland. that's the Newfoundland accent yeah.
0: you, you, can, you can tell there's Irish Scottish heritage there yes <laughs> based absolutely. on the accent.
1: And to uh, divert slightly, uh, yeah, there was a huge uh, Newfoundland was a huge center of Chinese immigration and so Newfoundland is actually famous for its uh, excellent Chinese food. Somebody brought a snake to Ireland or <laughs> <laughs> somebody brought a snake to Newfoundland. You and else yeah. they brought to Newfoundland, Brad you want to the tell meese. them? The moose.
0: The moosens.
1: Yeah. So they decided, I don't know how long ago, a while ago, a couple hundred years ago.
0: 1904.
1: Wow. That's not as long as I thought. 1904, they decided, we need some moose here because we want to hunt them. Okay. Yeah. So they brought two moose over and... Those two moose... Or they brought four moose?
0: I, I think... um I've got an article here from Heritage Newfoundland that talks about them bringing... Uh, okay, it doesn't say the number. It says 1904. I believe mm-hmm. the tour guide for one of our tours yes. said that in 1980... Or sorry, 1898. I want to mm-hmm. say they brought two. Mm-hmm. And then in 04, 1904, they brought four more over. Yes, that's and, also
1: what I recall.
0: And now... Uh, I think Grossmore Park anyway, has like, was it three moose per square kilometer? It's
1: ridiculous. So according to a hilariously titled document that I have found from the government of Newfoundland and Labrador, <laughs> which was published in 2002. Oh, sorry, not 2002. 2022. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell the travel has taken its toll and we'll get to it. Uh, as of 2022, there is an estimated amount of 110,000 moose in Newfoundland. With, I believe, the majority of them living in Grosemore National Park. There's a lot. It's a lot of moose. And the title of this document is called The Government's Moose Management Plan. Mm -hmm. And it is a 42-page document about (laughs) what Newfoundland plans to do to take care of these moose, because they are simply terrorizing the residents.
0: Yeah. Well, they were introduced to be a like a food source, mm-hmm. essentially being like, hey, it'll attract big game hunters and feed people building the railways and stuff,
1: and as we know, this does this doesn't go as planned frequently uh yeah. per the episode on the American hippo bill.
0: <laughs> I'll say, uh, I haven't seen or heard not that I've done an extensive meta-analysis of moose uh articles in Newfoundland, but it seems like it hasn't ruined a whole lot i I wonder how much they would even compete with, like, the caribou native. Because I feel like the caribou are more of, like, a grassland grazer, whereas so your meese, like, your swamps.
1: We discussed on the tour, and then I also have found here in this um, uh, management report, is that um, the moose tend to eat the tuckamores, mm. And they they just go and they just eat. And so, a lot of the trees there. In addition to the fact that it is a harsh landscape, there's a lot of yes. harsh weather in the winter on the west coast of Newfoundland. Um, but also, apparently, the moose just they just eat meat, meat, meat.
0: Well, and fun facts that we're glossing over here. What's what's a tuckamore, Jade?
1: Oh, a tuckamore is like a little. It almost looks like a like a lump of bush. Like yeah, a large, small tree bush area. But what it is, is it's a bunch of small trees that have all grown together and then kind of developed this like protective exterior to them so that the exterior of the Tuckamore looks like kind of a low to the ground bush system. But when mm-hmm. you actually go in it, it's a full forest. Yeah. It's protected like on the coastlands uh, from the wind that's coming in.
0: Yeah, and also part of the reason you've got Tuckamore and other like short trees, because one thing I noticed the whole time we were over there is just how comparatively short the trees were. Yeah, it's because uh, Newfoundland is pretty rocky, hence oh, why it's and called, we'll get often to it. called the Rock.
1: Yeah, and we uh, we will get there. We do have a whole geology section mm-hmm. of this podcast, but that's a foreshadow for later. We yeah.
0: talked about meese. Um, well, I actually we ad-
1: wanted to mention one more thing about the moose. Okay, yeah. So. Um, and Brad does keep calling them meese, and that is the official term from a Canadian, <laughs> we will tell you. You got goose, you got geese, you got moose, you got meese. Um, as you're driving into Morne <laughs> National Park, they have the most terrifying signs warning you that there are moose in the area. So first of all, they have a... You see, like, the yellow diamond signs which is what they typically put up on highways here to advertise that there's a moose crossing or there are not deer fences in the section yeah, of the highway a, any kind of but warning it's just, sign it's a picture of a moose a silhouette of a moose in Morne national park it is a silhouette of a moose standing in front of a car that is crumpled With an eye turned towards the person looking at the sign, glaring at you. I don't
0: know why they put the eye in. I think the eye is what makes it spookiest.
1: Here's my theory. I think that people who are not from places where uh, they have moose, um, meese, if you will, don't appreciate the (laughs) terrifying nature of moose. Moose, I would say they're comparable to the hippo. Of North America.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, look. It's just this big, cute thing. Mm-hmm. Well, people think it's like a deer. They don't yeah. realize how Huge.
1: much bigger it is.
0: Huge.
1: Um, yeah. <laughs> Rapidly
0: Googling. But, I mean, well, yeah, here. while you're Googling up the, the strict size comparison, I want to say it's probably close to, like, ten times like the mass. Oh, yeah. And, and a deer, like, you'd be hard-pressed probably to find a deer that... You know shoulder that, that could stand you know shoulder to me mm-hmm. like most deer are going to be even like they're a uh, deer's head probably not going to be much bigger than i am i've got this yeah a moose i could probably walk underneath a moose yeah without touching it and so, so... the real problem is you've got moose i.e swamp donkeys mm-hmm. with you know four five six foot legs holding up a thousand pounds or more and almost any vehicle right mm-hmm. you hit moose legs you're dropping a thousand pounds and it's you're not hitting it with the hood of your car, it's dropping on the hood of your car, yeah. rolling into your windshield. Yes. And with antlers and hooves. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's not fun.
1: It's not. I would say that you're not surprised to hear about a moose accident where we are. You're mm-hmm. surprised to hear that someone survived the moose accident.
0: Yeah. And I, I should look this up, but I would be surprised if moose weren't the animal honestly, probably in all of Canada, that if they weren't the animal that had the most fatal interactions with humans.
1: Mm. I will... I'll give you the stats here now, just while we're talking about it. So a deer weighs between 22 pounds, I assume that's a baby, and 900 pounds and stands two to four feet high at the shoulder. A moose weighs 600 pounds to 1,500 pounds, and stands uh, at the shoulder 4.6 feet to 6.9 feet. Yeah. Yeah. And FD. they they are, especially like uh, if you get like a bull moose or if you have mm-hmm. um, like a female moose that has a baby with it, they can get very aggressive. Um, so if you are driving on the highway and you see a moose, you drive away.
0: Well, the problem is you often don't see them mm-hmm. because unlike deer uh, and lots of other animals where their eyes will reflect back at you, hmm. moose don't do that. Oh, and that's their fur, interesting. Yeah, interesting and horrifying.
1: Yeah, fun fact. So actually the sign is inaccurate because <laughs> yeah. their scary glowing eye is not real.
0: And uh, like their fur is just you know a deer's fur is a little more like mm-hmm. smooth and shiny mm-hmm. kind of like like you know many animals where moose fur is less smooth and shiny yeah, it's a little it's more very, like dull it
1: absorbs light
0: and you know what time of day moose love to be out on the roads
1: oh they're party animals they like yeah. to be out at night
0: they, they want that that dusk and twilight mm-hmm. so, so it's just also the in ghostworn
1: in addition to the warning signs, they have a sign when you drive in that lists their stats for moose accidents <laughs> for the year. So they say 2022, 13, 2023, 9. So far, maybe you're next. Who's to say? Yeah. Um, so that, that kind of covers the moose. But the other types of wildlife, do you want to talk about the bird that you've encountered?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So Grossmorn Mountain. Of Grossmore National Park fame is unique in that it is a relatively southern example of an Arctic alpine environment, which is a great spot for rock ptarmigan. Ptarmigan, of course, spelled with a PT. Yeah,
1: because <laughs> the pterodactyl approach. I've just uh, as it. well as
0: I think Arctic hare will live up yes. there as well.
1: Yes, they do have Arctic hare.
0: Uh, now I saw on my hike, which we'll probably get into at some point. A what I believe to be a willow ptarmigan because I was more in the tree line and it was less rock colored, it was more wood colored. Mm -hmm. I don't know, neat little bird.
1: Mm -hmm. You said it was so close to you that you could have. Well, I think what you said, you could have kicked it. um, No, I think I could have picked it up. You could have picked it up. I think you used the term punt, but (laughs) oh, yeah, yeah, but either way, it was really close to you.
0: And also, uh, I confirmed based on Wikipedia that my suspicion of there's no way they have raccoons here is correct
1: mm, yeah there's a
0: couple of times in the camp I was like this garbage can does not seem bear or raccoon proof yeah you know, I'm mean, more concerned with raccoons mm-hmm. um, which they don't have they do have black bears uh, which fun fact the subspecies of black bear native to Newfoundland uh, hibernates a little bit longer on average than your regular black bear. Taking it all back to that first episode. Interesting,
1: Yeah, truly. There were a lot of things. We saw a lot of moss. I guess yeah. we haven't done an episode on that yet, but it's Surprising. known that I enjoy moss. Um, <laughs> and there are lots of other animals that live there, but um, kind of what struck us the most were things that do not live there, um, yeah. such as the snakes, raccoons. Um, I did determine they do have red squirrels. So I do think mm-hmm. that is what we saw. Um, But I don't believe they have gray squirrels or chipmunks. Um,
0: Uh, I think I saw a list of that chipmunks had been introduced there at some point.
1: So basically, if you just bring like a raccoon over in your pocket, I'm not suggesting that you do this. But I am saying that that's how they introduce moose.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. American Red Squirrel and Eastern chipmunk are both mm-hmm. listed on the introduced species list. Okay. One that I'm a little skeptical about is that if you go look at the Gray Squirrel, mm-hmm. I guess specifically the Eastern Gray Squirrel, its range doesn't include... Can it, well, it doesn't include... Um, like eastern canada at all Mm -hmm. which surprises me because i'm pretty sure that's what we have just in droves around here so i don't know if this is just but interestingly
1: we have them in the city that we live in but they don't have them in like the little the smaller communities that are like half an hour to an hour away from us they are city-centric yeah um yeah so one other thing that i'm convinced that i saw but is up for debate because it was very far away um, is no not ogopogo although that (laughs) is a dream i said the entire time we were there i want to see a giant squid we know (laughs) giant squids have washed up on the shores of newfoundland before and it happens about every 70 years depending on the water temperature and their migratory patterns i said this to multiple people that we walked by and they all said cool send this girl home Where are Um,
0: we in that 70-year cycle?
1: uh, I think we're about then. Like, I think the last, like, 1950s. Um, So it was a possibility. However, it did not happen. Well, fun fact. What I do think I saw was puffins. Because Mm. uh, Atlantic puffins do live in Newfoundland. And specifically, uh, there is a flock of them in Gros Mourne. And I saw from a distance on some rocks that were just off the shore. We saw a bunch of seagulls. We also saw a bunch of birds that were dominantly black with a white front. But we were too far away to, like, confirm. But puffins do live there, which is pretty neat.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. I'm reading the Eastern Great Squirrel page more. The map I'm seeing is the native range. It does say that Uh, expanded. So, oh, sorry. (laughs) I was going to say, when you're talking about the fact that it's the right time, in the 70 year cycle for giant squid to wash up is that the Newfoundland tourism department has an iceberg tracker. So you can see where there are icebergs around Newfoundland. You should petition them to get a great squid or giant squid corpse tracker.
1: That would be wonderful. I would love that. (laughs) So send send this to your favorite Newfoundland politician. Yeah. Send it to them, let them know that this is what they need for their tourism effort. What and what people want. We would also watch a moose and a giant squid battle it out for dominance. So, <laughs> um, I think that kind of covers the animals we wanted to discuss. Uh, in terms of like plants, I'm just looking at the Parks Canada website. And I will say um, the for, the 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 tree that we saw the most was the balsam fir. That is the dominant tree in yeah. Gross Morns forests. Um, and I guess we can talk about the, uh, ecological event that was happening while we were there. Do you want to take the lead on that one with the worms?
0: Oh, just spruce budworm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's a Newfoundland specific thing. I'm pretty sure we have it here as well, but it's just part of the life cycle of the forest is the spruce budworm moves in. They lay tons and tons and tons of eggs. Those eggs hatch and turn into little larval thingamajigs. Budworms, I suppose, they eat lots of the buds on spruce trees, which basically kills the growth. Uh, great buffet if you're a bird, because there's just, places just lousy with them. I know there are some trees that were dead looking that we saw that mm-hmm. were just swarmed, yeah. in like miller-sized bugs, which yeah. I, I assume were all spruce budworm mm-hmm. or whatever they grow into, and we call them. But um, yeah, so lots of that happened that was, while we were there. Yeah,
1: that was happening while we were there. Um, yeah,
0: it, I, I think it's a mostly-ish natural thing. You know, kind of like a forest fire is,
1: uh, yes, that that is how it was explained to us. Um, uh, as a this is an ecological event that happens cyclically, it is currently happening. Do not be alarmed, yeah. <laughs> was kind of the description we, were yeah.
0: Using. All right, Natural versus Canada. The spruce budworm is a moth, native to North America, so it's a moth. Mm-hmm. We'll put we'll plug that in there. Mm-hmm. This comes back.
1: Yeah, it does come back. Um, and something else that comes back from our previous episodes that I think will lead us into kind of some geology is the fact that Newfoundland has peat bogs. Hey. Uh We got to see peat bogs live in action. Um, and while I am given to understand from that episode that. Heat bogs in North America do not have the right pH balance and temperature levels required to produce um, like mummified remains like we discussed in the bog bodies episode. That said, Newfoundland is a lot more far north and does have more geographic similarity to Ireland, which is where a lot of these bog bodies were found. So it is a possibility. I did walk through uh, to go to one of the tours that we did. We had to do a pretty gentle three kilometer hike in and the three kilometer hike was through uh, peat bog and it was pretty sick and I like to think about the entire time I was going how many bodies could possibly be out there just waiting to be discovered statistically true crime wise a lot of uh, <laughs> deaths happen in national parks especially in the United States there are serial killers who operate specifically in national parks because there is uh, expansive land that is unmonitored
0: well are you familiar with it's the an unfun fact well death fact are you familiar with the uh piece of i think it's yellowstone where theoretically murder is legal
1: mm, no i'm not but i love <laughs> that you're now referencing my second podcast death fact
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh i'll yeah i'll send you i think there's a half an interesting video but tldr uh because part of yellowstone i think the yellowstone national park um crosses over the state border and no one lives in that. Hello. One second.
1: Cat. Cat butt. Oh, he's taking the headphones off. Oh, the cat. He and the cat are having a fight to the death. The cat is winning. Oh God. The podcast is over. All right.
0: Anyway, so because the national park crosses the state border, but the whole national park, I think, is under the jurisdiction of, One of the circuits, I don't know, the Ninth Circuit, maybe. Mm -hmm. And if you commit a murder in that part of the park, you have to be you wouldn't be charged under whichever state most of the parks in. You have to be charged in the other state. But no one lives in that state and also in that that circuit Mm -hmm. of the American federal justice system. So technically, if you elected for a trial by jury, there would be no one to pull a jury pool from. Mm Hmm something to that effect anyway i'll link it
1: so basically there is an inverse venn diagram happening yeah interesting yeah we might have to come back to that in a future episode because that sounds really cool um going back to newfoundland where murder is in fact illegal last (laughs) time i checked um we wanted to talk In some detail about the geology of newfoundland and specifically of grossmore national park and this will be likely our biggest section because there's just so much to say it's so interesting so uh do you want to kick off talking about the uh tour that we were just referencing where we had to hike through peat bog to get there
0: yeah. So that was beautiful. Highly recommend it. Um, I think You'll it's like seven
1: photos on our Instagram as well. Yeah.
0: I think it's 70 or 80 bucks a person for the Western Brook Pond boat tour. Uh, fun fact basically, every body of freshwater in Newfoundland is called a pond.
1: Yeah. Uh, just local,
0: local slang. Yeah. Um, and so, Western Brook Pond is kind of a fjord. Although technically it's not
1: to be a fjord before before the word fjord was invented. It was a fjord.
0: Yeah. Um, So what is a fjord? A fjord is a U-shaped valley carved by a glacier. Usually valleys caused by erosion are a little more V-shaped. So with the fjord, you get this, you know, this u you know so quite steep sides mm-hmm. flat bottom steep sides coming back up mm-hmm. and when they're filled with seawater they're a fjord technically this is just a fjord style lake i guess yes. because it's all fresh water now
1: yes it's all fresh water um and it is no longer connected to the ocean which no. i think is part of
0: and the, and Lord the way Oregon. it got cut off from the ocean is so glacier extends mm-hmm. carves out this huge trench. Mm-hmm. And connected and to the sea. We scene. took
1: a boat tour through the trench, just to be yeah. clear. This is the thing we're discussing.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so now, you know, it's like a probably a three, four, five kilometer stretch of land um, cuts it off, and the the pond sits, I think, 20-ish, 30-ish meters above sea level. And the way the reason it's cut off is because when the glacier was there, the weight of the glacier pushed down the ground. Mm-hmm. And so the glacier retreats, and you know it took however many thousands of years for the, the ground to spring back. And I think it was, what, 9,000 years ago, roughly? The land rebounded enough that it cut off the pond from mm-hmm. the ocean, mm-hmm. except for like the small brook flowing out. And yes. then fun fact on top of fun fact is, I guess, Western Brook Pond is a very slow uh, cycling body of water. Mm-hmm. Because it's only fed by basically like snow melt and Mm -hmm. rainfall. Yes. And there's only a very small amount of water that leaves it. So I think it takes, what they say, like years, like six, seven years. Yeah, years to cycle through. Yeah, meaning that if you look at the volume of water in Western Brook Pond, for enough water to come in and then go out to replace every piece of water in there Mm -hmm. would take, whatever six, seven years. Mm -hmm. And I think she said that like typical lakes do it like 15 times a year
1: yeah um also on top of that you mentioned snow melt so we Mm -hmm. were there in summer it's summer in canada currently um and the yeah july summer yeah and uh there was still snow there was still snow on some of the cliff sides that we saw um and in addition to that i will add um Western Brook Pond is apparently uh, a fairly inhospitable environment for wildlife. So there are not very many types of fish and plants that live within the pond itself related to that slow cycling for nutrient reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, So just I'm just on their uh, site here and I just kind of want to talk about. um, So if you don't know. Uh, Newfoundland is very mountainous, and the areas that we are discussing are part of a mountain range that was formed over 1,200 million years ago um, yeah. in the pre-Cambrian era, if you were wondering, <laughs> um, when the... What was previously like the kind of general North American continent collided with a different continent and then created the majority of the mountains that are in this area. And I think they mentioned that that this is actually part of um, these mountains were formed around the same time that the Appalachian Mountains were formed. Like, I think it was part of the same. It's part of the Appalachians. Yes, it's part of the same event and therefore part of the same mountains. Yeah. Which is wild. Yeah. And also crossing over with previous episodes.
0: It all comes around. Yeah. I was surprised when we got off the ferry in Port of Basque. Like, There's just mountains all the way down there. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, I knew Grossmore was a mountain. Mm-hmm. I just assumed it was more flat and just like, you know, coastal rocks. Mm-hmm. But no, it's all mountains. It's
1: all mountains. And what's kind of scary is like, after being there for a week and especially being in Grossmore National Park, when we were driving home, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, mountains. But these aren't like the cool mountains. These are just like your run of the mill highway mountains, which is a wild attitude to develop. And then we return to the non mountain regions of the other maritime provinces and yeah, are like Brunswick oh Coast right Russia. this is weird <laughs>
0: <It's so laughs> why flat. is
1: it so flat yeah how come i can see the land unobscured by fog covering the top however many feet
0: <laughs> yeah well and also part of it too just the fact that the trees are also taller here mm-hmm. so that all, all the time you can't even see Often the distance over how flat it is because the trees are you know twice and thrice as tall.
1: Yes, yeah, the trees there were very small, which was also very jarring. Um, do you want to discuss the other set of mountains that is different from the mountains? Yeah,
0: yeah. So the tablelands are part of the Earth's mantle that is thrust up through the crust and exposed there. So. Yeah. Um,
1: it's some Mordor looking
0: yeah. stuff. It's pretty cool. Um, there was a word that I saw used to describe it in the Discovery Center. Well, I un- took
1: photos of every like, <laughs> wall panel at the Discovery Center. Yeah. So.
0: Unfortunately, the Parks Canada site, I don't think, it says that word. So I can't go check that word in Wikipedia. But basically, um, this is not the only example of this place or of this kind of um area it's just this one's very accessible and very well uh or undisturbed so it's a good reference which fun fact was a key part in starting the theory of like plate tectonics and continental drift Mm -hmm. which uh i don't think as a group we realized just how young that theory was like it's from the 60s yeah 360s they were like earth just always looked the exact same mm-hmm. and someone's like actually it wiggle wobbles around
1: yeah so I, think- I have photos of this section of the discovery center where they talk about they refer to um the geology of gross Morn as a proving ground mm-hmm. where it was able to provide the geological evidence to support theories that scientists held prior to the 1960s but could not be confirmed so plate tectonics provided a mechanism, and then Western Newfoundland became one of the first places in the world to be explained by that theory. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And there's some nice maps showing it's like, okay, here's the tablelands, which is part of the cross being pushed through. Here is um the long range of mountains, mm-hmm. which show this, you know, part of, of plate tectonics.
1: Brook pond, which we were just discussing. Yeah. Um, Gross Morne Mountain has its own kind of ecology. It's uh, capped with pink quartzite, so it looks almost like a combination between these really lush green mountains that came were formed by glaciers, and these really really barren tablelands mountains that are formed by the earth's crust. Because it yeah. is there's some green parts, but a lot of it's pretty barren, and it looks very pink when you're looking at it across, and that's because it's uh, got pink quartzite. Um, let me see what else we also have green point which was a location that I got to go. Um, So one of the days of our journey, uh, part of our group, including Brad, uh, went off to hike Grossmourne Mountain. And the other part of the group, including myself, went off to have a very chill beach day. Uh, The exact opposite, in fact, of climbing (laughs) Grossmourne Mountain. Um, So what I did during that time is get up and have a leisurely breakfast at a cafe and then go to Greenpoint, which was very exciting for me because that is the site of a lot of fossils that have been found in Grosmoren. So uh, Greenpoint is like right on the coast. You're basically walking through to your right. There's kind of cliff sides that you've walked down um, and you can see these really interesting patterns of different types of rocks going... um, like firm, forming vertical stripes down the cliffside and then going out to the ocean. and then to your left, you have the ocean, which we went at low tide, so uh, the water was not very high. and there were large rocks that we could climb kind of climb over and look at tide pools. And that was very, very cool. Um, one of the things that I thought was really neat on kind of just a humanity can be pretty good sometimes level. Is there a sign saying, That you cannot remove fossils and rocks from this area. But what people will do, because human nature, you want to find these things, you want to find this cool rock that has fossils on it. People pile them on top of the rock that has that sign. So you can go read the sign. And then while you're standing there, there's a mountain of little rocks on top of this rock that has fossils in it. And so it's like a, um, just a, 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 museum unto itself that has been formed by people being like i found this cool thing and i want other people to be able to experience finding this cool thing and that was how i did explain it to the children in my life who did not understand why i could not bring them a fossil from newfoundland
0: yeah uh i found the where i was looking for okay it's awful light. O-P-H-I-O-L-I-T-E, which okay. is a section of the Earth's oceanic crust and the underlying upper mantle that has been uplifted and exposed, often placed onto contin- continental crust... continental crustal rocks. Mm-hmm.
1: And I also found what we were discussing prior. Um, 320 million years ago, the continents collided, and the uh, Ipetus... Ocean. That's my best guess. Yeah. I, I think
0: Iapetus is how Iapetus Ocean. I
1: was basing it off of Icarus. Um, <laughs> the Iapetus Ocean was destroyed, uh, and Pangaea formed. So that is relating to uh, where uh, those continents collided. Uh, yeah. I took a lot of photos of interesting scientists because I really liked their outfits. Uh, do you want to talk about your experience with Grossmorn Mountain?
0: Well, before we do that, because you just mentioned Pangaea, and a fun fact that I know you realized was that Pangaea, for those who don't know, was a supercontinent. Mm-hmm. Because... But it
1: was not the only one. Yeah.
0: What? So yeah. Brand, new information. Yeah, Pangaea is actually just the most recent supercontinent, which is when all of the land masses were pretty much mushed together. Uh and there's been, I have pulled up here, um, like half a dozen or so.
1: It's wild in and for those of you who only learned about Pangaea from the. oh, What's his name? <laughs> Little rapper? Little Dicky from the Little Dicky song. <laughs> yes, I did quote that lyric several times while we were there. Yeah. And I cannot quote it on this podcast for explicit yeah. reasons.
0: So Pangaea is the most recent supercontinent, which formed 336 to 175 million years ago. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, we had Gondwana. Prior to that, it was Panotia, and then Rodinia, and then Columbia Parenthetical Nuda, uh, presumably trying to de-colum- decolumsify things, which, uh, as we all on this podcast, were are firmly behind.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Atlantica, Artica, Kenorland, ur, and Valarbra.
1: Well, actually that i i didn't want to i didn't have like a whole lot of information to share on this subject just because i want to ensure that we are fully informed before we are talking about other people's cultures but before we jump into the grossmore mountain part i will mention so the discovery center where we're referencing we got a lot of this information was very very mm-hmm. cool and one of the exhibits in the Discovery Center was about the geology of Newfoundland and more specifically Gros and how that yep. impacted scientific research. But the other exhibit at the Discovery Center was about the Indigenous culture in Newfoundland and specifically was uh, I not yeah you came and walked through this with us yeah um, was individuals who are modern day Indigenous peoples telling the cultural information that they have inherited from their family members with all of the complications of um colonialism interfering so this is things like uh there was a display on how um the local indigenous language which i'm sorry i can't recall right now um was taught has been taught in mm-hmm. schools in newfoundland since the third er, for 30 years in these specific in the schools in the uh, trout river community and how valuable that is because as someone who has a language that is dying out in my family um when you lose your connection to your um native tongue to your people who speak that language in your family either through uh you know the routine unfortunate events of life or through the intentional uh agenda of colonialism with residential schools in Canada and the efforts to stamp out indigenous languages um it is very difficult to reclaim that language because the people who spoke it uh don't have anybody else to speak it to anymore and the people who only learned a little bit and then were taken away from their families never learned it uh in a way that it became like ingrained in them and so the recovery of language the recovery of um things like traditional methods for beating clothing or doing uh holding ceremonies Um, building canoes was all so fascinating to hear about from a first-person perspective. And I found it specifically really fascinating to hear about um, talking about current-day culture and not talking about um, historical culture the way we talk about like, oh yeah, the Romans, they did this, they did that, they did, you know, this is what they ate. Um, it's, it's, it's making it a very like human centric perspective. And I found that really, really interesting.
0: Something I found interesting lacking from that. Mm. And I wonder if this is a, a group, you know, about, so that was the, I think it was Mi'kmaq.
1: I believe that. So, the... Yeah. And it was the community, like a lot of the people who were giving the first person perspectives mm-hmm. were specifically from the Trout River area.
0: Yeah. What they didn't mention at all were the Bayotuk people. Are you familiar with the Beothuk? No, I'm not. Well, it makes sense because they're extinct.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: they were that lightly makes sense genocided. They're not
1: included in the thing since it was all like first person perspective. Yeah.
0: So no, they were lightly genocided off of Newfoundland. Oof. They are a more uh, Inuit, I believe. Um, okay,
1: like a northern community.
0: Yeah. And so they were a group uh, that, when Europeans showed up, they were like we don't trust these guys mm, and try instinct. to avoid them. <laughs> yeah. So avoid them. Um, never really were interested in adopting firearms. Um, and, you know, no, they didn't get along. Cause they were like, Hey, can you please stop? Uh, yeah. Can you get off our land? And mm-hmm. the English were like, you mean our land? Mm-hmm. Pew, pew, pew. Uh, so a little bit, uh, you know, your, your typical settler violence combined with, you know, um, being out competed on resources.
1: Look mm-hmm. uh, at page 50. here.
0: Is like, oh, there's some disagreement on uh, if if genocide correctly applies here, but mm, it's close mm-hmm. enough.
1: So <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, so uh it was Ooh, really yeah uh <laughs> i just i thought it was really kind of a, a good segue when you brought up how they're renaming one of the old supercontinents to not be named after columbus yeah um and well uh I can... oh no you go ahead
0: i was like i can pivot from there and do a little bit about the discovery of newfoundland or the discovery by europeaners of, of newfoundland
1: sure if you want to go into that we can go into that the other thing i wanted to hear about was um your experience with the mountain or just like the Gros morn mountain. Cause we kind of talked about all the other types of mountains, but we didn't yeah. talk about the factors of gross morn.
0: Yeah. I don't know. There's a whole lot more to bring up on gross morn. Um, it's the second than...
1: tallest mountain on Newfoundland. Yeah. Second tallest in. mountain
0: in Newfoundland. It's 808 meters. There's the, the Cabix CABOX, uh, which is probably 200, 200 kilometers South, which is just 10 meters taller. Uh, Labrador the mainland component of the province of newfoundland and labrador has i believe much taller mountains on it Mm
1: -hmm. yeah that makes sense Um, On the
0: island itself they're pretty short uh i didn't summit it um i got halfway i got halfway through well i i I did the approach which is already you know more elevation than than i've ever mm -hmm. hiked continually in my life and i was like "Mm, you know what i'm already a little hot and tired and you know not feeling great from the the night before so i'm like "Mm, i'm gonna turn around the beach (laughs) yeah But uh, Uh, even the approach trail was beautiful. mm. Um, But man, just seeing like, that's the closest I've ever been to a mountain Mm -hmm. that pronounced because uh, we should, we could do a whole episode on, on mountain stuff, but.
1: um, And I'm sure we will.
0: (laughs) One, one big thing with mountains is that (laughs) it's not just about the absolute elevation of the mountain. It's how much prominence does this mountain have from the surrounding Mm area because you can imagine in you, there there's always a sea level because you can see the ocean from almost mm. everywhere in grossborn national yeah. park and, and the ocean fun fact is sea level <laughs> <laughs> the, the ocean is what means sea level is that's what we base elevation on so you have these you know five six seven eight hundred meter mountains with a zero Meter reference point within Mm -hmm. eyesight. Mm -hmm. And so when you start hiking at, you know, 20 meters above sea level, you hike up 300 meters Mm -hmm. and then you look up 500 more meters to this mountain in front of you and you're like, well
1: (laughs) yeah uh and also i will add that because as we mentioned before talking about the trees there are not as many of them and they are much smaller you don't have as much on land obscuring your sight lines so i do find like the mountains that we have here which aren't even really mountains a lot of them they're big hills um they look both taller and shorter than they actually are because the trees on top give them extra height just as if you had like hair and the trees around their base kind of obscure the base of the mountain so they look like they start kind of there's a much more gradual uh, approach to them and less of a steep sudden elevation um and one other thing that I thought you was that I thought was really interesting that you mentioned is just how many signs exist in the approach to the mountain warning people to turn back. Yeah. Uh, I mean,
0: worthwhile signs, you know, it kind of worked on me because some of it's almost like reverse psychology. It's like the, on the gentle walk up here, you would have noticed the whatever bird thing. And I'm like, "Mm, yeah,
1: the gentle walk. Yeah.
0: I'm like they, um, they they know the language they're picking.
1: So it is if something if it's something that you, dear listener, are interested in doing, um, we certainly suggest you do a lot more research. Everything else that we did in Mourn was um, I would describe as fairly accessible. Uh, for example, the boat tour that we did, even though I did mention that there was a three kilometer hike in. It was all groomed trails and they do have altering. Mobility aids available so you can get to and participate in this boat tour. Uh, A lot of the other trails that I hiked were, while they were not necessarily groomed level to the point where it would accommodate an all terrain mobility device, um, they were accessible to people who have a lower mobility level. For instance, uh, the primary reason why I did not even make an attempt at hiking the mountain is because I have a historical knee injury mm-hmm. uh, and was worried that I would have my knee dislocate on the mountain and then have to be rescued and that didn't happen but that's some foreshadowing yeah. for the future <laughs>
0: <laughs> well and even like and, and obviously you know I, I I decided to turn around at what's athlete called the decision point and the other two members of our group decide or two of the other members of our group decided to, to press on and you know even they, um mm-hmm. you know they got passed by some other people who attend, who had attended the wedding who it kind of sounds like just left them in the dust um and you know they they took longer than expected to complete the mountain um now i will say too that like the park staff that were there in the morning being like hey take your water don't mm-hmm. overdo what you can
1: amount of water that you need to be sure that yeah. you carry on yourself
0: but they also didn't Make people like sign in, which Mm -hmm. in some other parks, they do make you sign in and sign out. So I think with Grossmourne, it's probably more a mental thing.
1: Mm. Um,
0: I think, I think anyone, like even me, like I, I think... I probably could have pushed through and done it. Mm -hmm. I was just like, "Mm, I can already tell it's going to be a hotter and stickier day than I'd like. And I don't think I'll enjoy this as much.
1: Well, and I think the other factor same with me being worried about dislocating my knee is you have a recurring (laughs) dislocation issue. So the shoulder is not, that you will not have the stamina to complete the hike the fear is that you get injured in some way and then are stuck on a mountain
0: (laughs) well yeah because there's quite a bit of like rock scrambling you have to do Mm -hmm. so you know one little slip and fall and pop goes Mm -hmm. your shoulder plus um like i i know i would have been taking even more breaks than the two folks Mm -hmm. from my party who continued on so you know <laughs> probably had at least two more hours, mm-hmm. which would have been they, like, pushing like dust, but back to the parking lot at that point. So and you
1: also uh, deplete your store of water because yep. you weren't expecting to be out for that long. Yeah. Uh, uh,
0: but in terms of like prominence against, we were saying, you know, you, you, you start at basically zero and go all the way to hundred. you know, the, the mountains in our home province, um, you know, the surrounding, cause they're, they're already in like the highlands area. So the surrounding elevation is like, you know, between like three and 400. So to go up another three or 400 meters from there, obviously it's still quite a hike, but you're not starting at zero to a hundred, the same way with Everest. Like, I don't know what the elevation of Everest base camp is, but I'm gonna Google it right now.
1: The magic of the internet at our fingertips.
0: It truly is. Oh my God. Yeah. Everest base camp is at an altitude of 5,364 meters above sea level. (laughs) So when people climb Everest, um, which we'll just have to put a pin in Everest or else we're going to be here all night. We're already an hour and 10 minutes into mm-hmm. recording. Um, even though Everest is 8,800 meters tall and change or whatever it is, um, you're only you're only really hiking um, 300 and 3,500 meters of it. Um, not all 8,000 in mm-hmm. one go. Yeah, so. It's all about perspective.
1: Um, Do you have anything else you want to discuss from a geology point of view? Or should we talk about the other stones we encountered?
0: The other stones? Which other stones?
1: Oh, my kidney stone! Uh, well, a-
0: alleged.
1: Alleged. We don't know for certain, but that is currently the prevailing theory. Um, and therefore that is what we were going to be discussing on the podcast. All right. Um, so on the second last day of our trip, the day before we were due to travel back over the six plus hour ferry journey, uh, I started, I woke up in the morning with some pretty awful pain in my back and thought that I had just tweaked my back the previous day swimming. Uh, and then Over the course of about an hour, an hour and a half, I quickly realized that that was not the case. Uh, So we went to the pharmacy located in Rocky Harbor, which is one of the many towns in Grossmore National Park, which was news to me. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, I guess, a fun fact that we can share. National parks can have whole towns inside
0: them. Well, yeah, our our friend who was working out in uh, Jasper, Maybe you weren't on, but he, he did a video call with us once where he was just like walking through the town of Jasper.
1: Yeah, wild end. Well, it's just because the national park that I am most familiar with does not have any established towns, villages, settlements in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is solely the national park and national park employees and people visiting the park. Um, so it kind of blew my mind that there were entire towns, but I mean, I guess it makes sense. Grossmore national park covers such a vast area, uh, that, uh, you know, there's lots of people who live there. And we did find out that if you do live there, you do get a parks, Canada pass for free. So (laughs) that's a bonus. So we went to the pharmacy in Rocky Harbor. And the wonderful staff there uh, did some kind of initial assessments for me and then recommended that I go to the health center, which essentially functions as their local hospital. They have, I believe, one doctor and one lab tech and several nurses, uh, as well as administrative staff on site at any given time. So during the day, it functions as an outpatient clinic and then Uh, outside of business hours, it functions as an emergency services location. So I got to go sit in the hospital for about eight hours in the most excruciating pain of my life, over 24 hours of travel from my home, uh, in some panic about not knowing what was going on. So I won't go into more detail than that. It was uh, the worst day of my life. But I do kind of get to make a sick pun, which I guess is worth it. <laughs> <laughs> in that you're not supposed to take rocks from the national park, but I did get to bring some stones home. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Truly a worthwhile mm-hmm. joke.
1: Yeah. Uh I'll just give kidney stones are essentially they happen um when there is a buildup of waste in your kidneys if there's not enough fluid that comes in with that waste to kind of send the waste out so it becomes a hard object that is made of chemicals from your urine there's four different types of stones based on the type of chemical and waste that comprises them Uh, but yeah it causes uh can you can have them your whole life and have no idea when they exit your kidney and make their way to the exit uh that is when you notice them and the larger the stone the more painful they are so that that's just some fun facts about that i guess for you and the other fun fact i wanted to share essentially what the hospital staff did is after they were able to determine that my pancreas or not my pancreas my um appendix was not going to explode on the ferry uh, and that kidney stones were the most likely Um, diagnosis. They gave me some painkillers and also specifically a muscle relaxant. And I didn't know this. I just thought it was really neat. The pharmacist very kindly took about 20 minutes to have a lengthy conversation with me about these types of medications because I thought it was interesting. Um, So your typical muscle relaxants that you would buy over the counter uh, relax your... um, I don't know what they're called. It's, It's the opposite of uh your smooth muscles but there are your linear? linear maybe um they're your muscles like you know if you've got neck pain if you've got kind of like generic back pain if you've got arm pain um related to your limbs that kind of thing those are what those muscle relaxants are for but the type of muscle relaxant i was prescribed is called a smooth muscle relaxant and it is uh, uh impacts the muscles that are like interior like mm-hmm. next to your organs and used in uh your digestive process so I just thought that was cool. I didn't realize that there were different types of muscle relaxants, but I and guess be- it makes sense.
0: And before all the healthcare professionals listen to this podcast email me. I have googled it. It is not linear. The three types of muscles you have mm. are skeletal muscles. Oh okay. Smooth muscles. So yeah. I, I assume your general you know, Robax or whatever is targeting skeletal. You have your prescription smooth muscle. Yeah. And then ones you probably don't want relaxers for are your cardiac muscles.
1: Yeah, probably not. Yeah. Um, And then one other topic we wanted to discuss very briefly was how the uh, Canadian healthcare Medicare system works in a scenario <laughs> like that.
0: It just does. It
1: just does. I am a Canadian citizen from a different province province and while in newfoundland having this uh what i would describe now as like a minor medical emergency but at the time would have just- you don't know <laughs> yeah i yeah it it just feels like a scary medical emergency where you're in so much pain that you're vomiting in the bathroom in the hotel or in the hospital um but you just show up hand them your provincial medicare card and they take care of it I did have to pay for my prescriptions, although um, I do have insurance and I could have direct billed through my insurance. I just didn't feel that it was necessary at that moment. I would rather bill it when I get home, put it in for recovery. Uh, and the medications combined, I don't know if you know this. Do you know how much it cost me to pay for those two medications? Oh,
0: I overheard, but it was like, what, well, oh, like $16 or something? It was like
1: $11. And to be fair, it was only a couple of days worth of doses. It was just to get me home. But uh, paying $11 for two medications when you are on vacation far from your home is pretty darn good. So yep. universal health care... Uh, we're big fans.
0: Yeah, let's were make there... it more universal.
1: Yes, absolutely. Let's let's,
0: let's just universally inc- include things like your luxury bones, i.e., teeth mm. and eyeballs mm. and ears.
1: <laughs> yeah, but anyway. Yep, and also uh, greater prescription assistance, yeah. etc. Uh, anyway, we'll pin that. that. Was kind of we. I mean, we then made our way home. Was there anything else you wanted to? Any other questions uh, you wanted to discuss?
0: Yeah, I got a couple of things to slam in. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked; I think we could talk enough about fjords.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, there, well, there is a proper fjord in Grossmore National Park, which is the Fjord of Bon Bay or Bonnie Bay. Okay, or you want to pronounce that one because uh, it's still connected to the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the naming of Newfoundland, because mm. I thought that's interesting.
1: That is interesting. That's a nice way, a nice note to go out on
0: yeah so newfoundland as mentioned is is colloquially known as the rock Mm -hmm. the people who live there are called newfies uh fun story i have an aunt who is a newfie and i didn't know that we worked together for a couple years at a museum i'd said something i I made a joke about her being newfie and i said sorry sorry i mean a person of newfish descent (laughs) and she struck her laughing it was great but anyway so this is just
1: a story about how you're really funny
0: oh i'm hilarious doing. okay <laughs> especially at parties please okay. invite me uh, <laughs> so newfoundland as discussed uh was settled by the um i'm pretty sure it was the, the micmac i really should be checking this uh, well
1: it's yeah i do recall seeing that name all over and that is because okay,
0: um well I, I i'm really bad at knowing where the border between the micmac and the micmaw are but yes, yeah, yeah. okay wikipedia is saying Mic-Mac. Yeah. So. Uh, inhabited by the Mi'kmaq and also, as discussed, formerly the Beotuk folks. And then, as discussed back in the Viking episode, uh, someone, potentially Leif Erikson, rolled up to the north of the of the Great Northern Peninsula around 1000 BCE, which technically is the first Europeaners. And did you know, because fun fact, um, Leif Erikson and his predecessors and descendants who if it wasn't Leif Erikson probably was one of these guys who, who is potentially the Viking who settled uh, Newfoundland Mm
1: -hmm.
0: was Christian.
1: I guess I never really thought about it.
0: That just feels illegal.
1: Like obviously (laughs) I know it does feel illegal. Like,
0: like a Christian Viking just sounds a little wrong. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. Yeah.
0: No, 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 no. Vikings are Vikings. Christians are the French, the Germans and the English in like 1500 onward for some reason. I don't know. It just
1: seems. Yeah. That was really interesting. Yeah. uh, I, I will, I guess, foreshadow for the future. I told you I had a wild topic for this week and then actually I fell down a different rabbit hole and I'm not doing that topic, but the wild topic that I have discarded and may come back to in the future was I did want to do a deep dive on veggie tales. (laughs) <laughs> so leaf erickson would have been really into that is what you're telling me
0: yeah well what what what's a big leafy green that could be like leafy erickson leafy in the veggie erickson tales adaptation
1: in the, oh kale i don't think they've got a kale character it was before kale got really big um so that before would definitely be leafy erickson yeah um, so
0: anyway leaf erickson and the viking gang they settled vinland which is like the pseudo-mythical Norse new world in the Atlantic. Uh, So Vinland, Vineland, or Winland was the the Norse name for it, which stands for...
1: It's just Finland, but he's kind of got like a little bit of a speech impediment.
0: Yeah. No, it's kind of like um, the, the etymology is disputed between Vin being associated with wine or vin being a different vin associate more like pasture or meadow
1: that feels more right
0: yeah so Vin's like pasture or meadowland
1: like french
0: yeah but also um vinland kind of sounds like finland Yes, yeah, so which is
1: said, finland yeah yeah is a speech impediment yeah you didn't laugh at my joke
0: <laughs> sorry i was too focused on trying to read this yeah so that's funny um and then of course when the british come along Uh, Newfoundland was actually the first British uh, territory. So it's kind of like Newfoundland's the start of the British Empire. Because before Newfoundland, it was just, you know, Britain.
1: Hmm. And then
0: they're like, let's go add in. actually, because Newfoundland was settled and mapped and claimed by John Cabot in like 1500 ish wasn't even. 1497 voyage to the coast of North America. So yeah, that was just Henry the 1597.
1: Seventh.
0: Yeah. Henry the seventh of England. So yeah, this predates the British empire because it predates Britain. Cause
1: 1597 1500s... was not Henry. Sorry. what did I say? Absolutely. Elizabeth
0: 1497.
1: Oh, Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I'm back on board.
0: Yeah. So I yeah, was like, he, I will fight you about the tutors. <laughs> and fun fact, uh John Cabot isn't a real person. I mean he is, but uh his actual name, he's the Italian Giovanni Capato.
1: Oh fancy. <laughs>
0: but as, as was the style of the time, uh he was hired by the British, much in the same way that um you know uh old old seaman who we don't Columbus? like to talk about, Columbus was hired by the Spanish mm-hmm. uh, Giovanni Cabado, mm. who anglicized himself to John Cabot, mm.
1: uh,
0: was a, I think it was Viennese.
1: Cool. No, Napolese.
0: Uh, he was, <laughs> sorry, born in Naples or Castelgon Chavares or the Republic of Giona.
1: Well, <laughs> Disputed. as much as I love hearing you try and pronounce Italian names and words, um, we yeah, are yeah. at an hour and twenty. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Point is he was there. Uh Newfoundland stuck. It's it's spelled Newfoundland, but it's definitely pronounced Newfoundland.
1: Newfoundland, yeah.
0: But uh all right, I think that's pretty much all well, I got here.
1: Did you do you have any other takeaways? What's your general review?
0: Good would do again. Would do um, again. Neat mountains.
1: Very I think cool. I think a little
0: bit of a hidden gem.
1: Yeah, absolutely a hidden gem. You should definitely go if you have oh any God. interest. What? We,
0: okay. Aside from me playing the song Insectarium, Uh-oh. we haven't talked about. We that haven't
1: talked about the Insectarium. You know what, guys? I don't know if we can do it. We might just have to do. You had a lot of butterfly and moth facts because after we went to the Insectarium, you were listening to other podcasts That's about. True. Do you want to do a full episode on on insect <sighs> facts? I think. Uh... Because we are getting really long.
0: Yeah, not anytime soon. Just because I think right now I would just be rehashing those two episodes.
1: Yeah. Go listen
0: to the Butterfly and the Caterpillar episode by Stuff You Should Know.
1: Yes. If you are in Newfoundland, near Cornerbrook, go to the Insectarium. Cornerbrook and Deer Lake are 20 minutes away from each other. So if you're near Cornerbrook, you're near Deer Lake. Go to the Insectarium. It is called the Newfoundland Insectarium. It is $15 for an adult. It looks like the littlest side of the road attraction, and it is a world-class museum. I said that the kidney stone day, the day prior, was the best day of my life.
0: No, fall- you said it was the worst day of your life.
1: Sorry, the worst day of my life. It was <laughs> the worst day of my life. Uh, the day we went to the insectarium, the fall- day after the kidney stones, it was, in fact, the best day of my life. They have this leaf cutter ant display, which is amazing, they have bees. They got a bee highway. They have multiple kinds of tarantulas, which Brad did not look at. Mm-mm. They have bugs that they let me hold. Multiple types of bugs that they let me hold. It was a very good day. They yeah. have a butterfly garden. Butterflies land on you. They have a butterfly nursery that says live, laugh, larva. Uh, I think that's the highlights.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, play, play us out, me.
1: Well, yeah. All right.
0: Insectarium. Yeah. <laughs>
1: They have happies!
0: <laughs> See, it's catchy!
1: See you next week!
0: See you next week. If you like this episode, feel free to subscribe and leave us a review.
1: You can find us at Fun Fact Collectors on Instagram and Twitter. If you have suggestions for future episodes or just want to share your favorite fun fact, feel free to send us an email at headnerds at funfactcollectors.com.
0: If you're interested in learning more about today's topic, check out the show notes this has been fun fact collectors see you next week
1: see you next week